Hey friends, Ashton here and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. It's hard to believe that two, three years ago now, back when we were at Let the Music Play podcast, uh, I came across a story and um, about a guy that was my age and he was traveling from Oregon to Patagonia on a bike and I said, oh, that's interesting. I, I need to know more. And dropped him an email, and long story short, he and I started swapping emails. We got him on the podcast and just had this beautiful, beautiful dialogue. Um, and now, the story of that, the memoir of that traveling experience, he's come out with a book that comes out in October called To Shake the Sleeping Self. Uh, He's a brother from another mother. He's a fellow mystic. He is one of us at the Good, True, and Beautiful Table. And I'm super excited to have him on the show again today, Jedediah Jenkins. He's in L.A. He woke up early to chat with us, and uh, he says his best Not thoughts are early. in the morning. <laughs> Not that early. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy to be back. It is crispy and lovely here in Los Angeles today. Beautiful. And... Has it started? Has it started to cool off in Waco yet, or no? No, I mean it's like my it was my first day at Baylor in the uh, like however long ago that was, and the professor goes, "Yeah, welcome to Waco, guys. The uh, autumn will happen sometime around October the thirty first, between eleven a.m. and twelve noon, and then it's over." <laughs> uh, and so that hasn't happened yet. It's still hot, and the trees are green, but Got the it. it's, uh, it's, the yeah. change is coming. It, Mm-hmm. Well, L.A., eternally the same. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Trapped in a dream. That's right. Here That's I am. right. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Um, mm. Jed Jenkins, dude, it's been too long. La- when did we talk last? It was, it was at least two years ago. At so, least. wow, I was like deep in being confused about what my book is and trying to write it and now it exists and i like have it in my hand do you know what i'm saying it is this thing that you have now released into the universe how's that feel it it feels really 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 good to to make something to labor over something and then just like let it go i i mean I've never really done something like this, I guess. Like, I've never written an album, a musical album. I've worked on documentaries when I worked at Invisible Children, and that, but that was such a collaborative process. It mm. didn't feel like my baby there you go. being born, yep. you know? Yep. And this, this is like, I mean, by the way, it's not a novel. It is a incredibly vulnerable autobiographical memoir about not just a, a, a bike trip, but my life and processing faith, tradition, sexuality, all the things, finding like real identity, all the things we all struggle with um, in search of our authentic self, you know, in within the audience of an amazing adventure in the backdrop of like South America, which is right. dope. But, but it's like, it is trippy. Ashton, let me tell you, when you write something like this and I realize if I died, you know, tomorrow, you know, sad, wah, wah, wah. But like my story is told hmm. like people, yeah. people can know me now who didn't know me forever, hmm. which is so wild. Yeah. 
the musings of your heart, the yeah, the pinball of conversations that happen between our ears. Um, you you fi- it, you find some goodness, truth, and beauty there, and put it on the paper. Yeah, and I mean, I think about like my favorite writers, like Henry Miller, John Steinbeck. Like, I feel like I know I know them. Like something in the like oh, deep recesses of my brain. It's like there is such a familiarity or C.S. Lewis, you know, like I'm like, oh, that's my friend. The fraternal order. You're a member now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wow, I am in this club, at least, you know, for whoever, whoever responds to this. Yeah. And that's something that um, you probably feel this with your podcast or other things that you produce and make. But um, when you make something, especially in the art world, you, once you give it to the public, it's theirs now. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that is a lot of people struggle with that because people will misinterpret you. They won't understand what you were trying to do, but that doesn't matter. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That is, that, that's kind of one of the big dialogues around art and, and, and writing is an art, um, of knowing that it's not for everyone and yet it is an available gift that you've given to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Everyone's allowed to have an opinion now. You know, yeah. like, you can't, like, how annoying if everyone in the world had an opinion about the way I decorated my bedroom. It's like, <laughs> get the hell out of here. This is my room. You don't, you're not allowed to have an opinion. This is private. <laughs> but when you put something in the world, it's theirs also. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, congratulations. I know it was a feat. Thank you. How 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 long? Um, I'm kind of in that world right now of entertaining such a such a feat. How long did it take you? Um, you know, once you had the trip behind you, regathered your notes, and kind of sat down and said, "All right, me and the blinking cursor are going to put this thing on paper." How, how long was that process? It was. trying to think it was from 20 i i got back from the trip 2015 like january and i started writing february 2016 just like the blank page and the year of 2015 i wrote it thinking it was going to be a autobiographical novel meaning i wrote the trip but took liberties and like I wrote it the way Kerouac wrote on the road. Hmm. That's what I thought I was doing is like, I'm just going to tell all the lies just to make this the best story possible. Um, Hit roadblocks with my agent because it wasn't selling. Nobody was biting, you know, nobody wanted this book. So I was like, shoot. Um, And my agent, who is an amazing woman, she was kind of a young agent and she ran in the like, pretty intense New York literary circles. Like, and so they, the bougie people were like, who we're not going to buy a book from an Instagram writer. Like that's embarrassing. And so, (laughs) and so she like, she, another agent was like, I think I can get this sold. And so she released me very generously to go work with this other guy. And we kind of retooled the book. And this agent really helped me understand that, um, people connect not just with the writing, but with me personally, like they, it's not just the words. 
it's actually me where it, there's like a there's a richer connection than yeah. Yeah. just the writing and yeah. so that was interesting to me and so he was he was saying and ultimately my publisher really believed that i it needed to be a real memoir like from my voice about me hmm. telling the truth because that's what people really want to connect with and you know that was like wow i'm because you can hide behind a novel you know you can lie if it's fiction you can say whatever you want mm. but you're hiding interesting um but if it's a memoir that's you yeah you know yeah and and uh and that's been a much harder road to walk mm. but ultimately but ultimately i'm glad and like so all that to answer your question so long-windedly is um, I worked on it for about a year and a half thinking it was a novel. So I wrote quite a bit of stuff down, but a lot of it I couldn't use. Then reworked it as a book of essays, then scrapped that for like six months, and then sold it on the idea of being a memoir and for about a year um, wrote it that way so it took about two and a half years to like start to finish write it throw it away try again write it again um i i honestly think if i had to do it again i would write it in half the time because a lot of it was figuring out what i was doing hmm. interesting well it's the first time you know, you know? exactly yeah. and i i i'm excited to grow as a writer yeah. because yeah it's interesting. Like, I think this book is great. Um, but you're and, like, there's some, there's, uh, you got other things now. You got something well, else not, to say. It's not that it no, it's not that it's not so much that it's, which I definitely do, but it's, I have, it took so much work to get this book where it is through my generous and patient editors. Instead of like really helping me figure out how to say what I want to say in a way that works in a book. Whereas now I know how to do that better. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so like I, the book, the labor pains were a mm. lot mm -hmm. and the second baby will slide right out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to jinx myself. That, um, feeling of, I haven't been here before, you know, right. This is a new, uh, this is a new craft, a new skill. know you and i you, you and i probably run in some uh similar spaces of where we have conversations about true self false self the shadow self um mm. the uh the subconscious right uh, talk to me about the sleeping self um and how you define that and well let's just start there how 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 would you maybe to to our listeners that are sitting here going what on earth are these two talking about um the <laughs> the sleeping self um in jed's words well yeah i think there is a authentic self that is accepted that is expressive that is resting in its lovableness that often gets buried 
through generally gets buried in middle school, but like there are things that happen in adolescence in our youth that cover up a lot of, a lot of the goodness, truth and beauty in our own hearts and in our own identities. And we spend a lifetime excavating those things or defending our fragile, um, our fragile soul through performative success through sex addiction, through any kind of addiction, through vanity, through there's all of these expressions of being human that often are actually a insulation and protection for the scared kid that got mm. picked on yeah. in eighth grade, yeah. you know? And, and, and so for me, I want to unpack and and awaken that scared kid and whatever that looks like and i and I'll, my book really is about whatever you can say about millennials or this generation or this time like we know that what once was adolescence has now been delayed meaning back in the day you know you were like married at 20 or 18 working in the fields at 13, That's right. you know, like, and then it just, it slides back. And, and obviously with more and more advanced and safe and secure societies, you're not forced to do those things and you can actually spend time pursuing self-actualization. And I mean, I think it's great that adolescence is pushed back. I don't, I don't think we need child labor again, but it is like interesting, like this, just really wrestling with existential mm -hmm. questions. And that really hits, at least in my observation, as you approach 30, because the twenties are still considered experimental times. Um, but, but the, the brain lands on the number 30 as, whoa, yeah. that's an adult. At least for us, I, I honestly think, you know, Gen Z or iGen people are going to think of their thirties as still mm. figuring it out. Um, but for me, I remember feeling like, whoa, I better have my together by 30. And so, you know, whether that's dealing with how I deconstruct and reconstruct my faith, um, my relationship with my family in regards to being gay with a Christian family and friends and like all those things. I was like, wow, like I better have that figured out by 30 or that's not okay. And was that you? So, do you think that was your authentic you that was making that statement? Or do you think that that was like this? Hey, society tells you do this, graduate high school, get a job, figure out health insurance, go become a lawyer. I think it, that's a great question. I think it's both, but I really think I think it was my authentic okay. me saying, and, and what I mean by that is like, I had already been to law school. I'd like chased those things yeah. in my twenties. Okay. And at 27, I was like, Oh, okay. So like you've been on this assembly mm -hmm. line for a while. And if you, and if you don't start making your own decisions and you don't start doing living for the truth of who you are, then you're going to blink and you're going to be 65 years old and wonder why, as Cheryl Strayed's mom said, you were never in the driver's seat mm -hmm. of your own life. And I'm like, holy 
crap. And so the book really takes you on a journey of, I thought that my shaking the sleeping self was about pursuing passion over career. You know, Mm. I thought that's what I was going to talk about in this book. And that's how the book starts. And then you see that the trip had something more to teach me about how I approach God. And so it's kind of like, once you start on that path of like self analyzation and why am I doing this? And am I in the driver's seat? You actually start unlocking a lot of doors that you didn't. Yeah. So the, I, I think that's, those are, that's a good metaphor for the, the, the sleeping self is the self that's just along for the ride. That's, that's riding shotgun and not mm-hmm. driving. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what you're, what you're getting at here is there is, there's an aspect of life to where you kind of do call time out. Maybe it is at 30. I don't know. Um, probably the second half of life begins for all of us at different stages. Um, but when you just kind of start calling time out on some things, um, take ownership of some of these ideas of how you see the world. Um, and truthfully, all of that really kind of came to a head as you left Oregon on a bicycle. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And when that's like, it's so funny how there are so many true things actually in tradition. And Roar always says this, Richard Rohr, he's, um, He's like, as you grow out of something, don't throw it away. Transcend right. it and include it That's because right. what it is is also true. That's right. And like all these traditional cultures have rites of passage where they have physical actualizations yeah. of an internal journey and an internal transition. Yeah. And there's something about liturgy. There's something about praying on your knees. There's something about turning the spiritual psychological into the physical that does something to us um and like going turning 30 quitting my job going on a year and a half long bicycle trip really with the intention of coming out the other side Mm -hmm. awakened like that physical that physicalization of what was going on in my head really changed my life yeah that I, that was I, your like, initiation yeah that was my rite of passage yeah. and it was self-selected but i'm like i kind of like want you know whether it's you know if if god willing i ever have children or these things like i want to like really make you know like a gap year or whatever it is where it's like go and like be alone and reset and be outside of the world you've constructed for yourself and return to it with new lessons. Hmm. Could you feel a change in your consciousness? Uh, there, there was a, I was listening to, um, I'm in the living school right now with Richard Rohr and mm. Cynthia Bergeron. Mm. And one of our first classes was this conversation between stages of consciousness and then states of being, and they are two different things that you can Ooh, you can explain. you can actually you can be in a, I mean, nirvana, beautiful state, half a second a day, mm. 
but a stage is is a barrier. You, you move through these, and you have to, if you've studied any of that spiral dynamics, you know, that, that as mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. go through these stages, you there, there is that space between, oh, I haven't been here before, and there's a little uncertainty, and then you finally find yourself at home there. And, and you will go in and out of different states, healthy ones, not so healthy ones. Um, but I just wonder for you, you know, did, did you feel this? Because it was like selective surrender and letting go is really what you did for 16 months. Right. Um, whereas some of us learned that lesson not on our own terms. You actually were like, yeah, I'm, I'm going out in the elements. <laughs> and uh, yeah. this is surrender and letting go. And I just wonder if, if that also... Because that's always the answer, right? Like in, in whatever progression is for us, emotionally, spiritually, um, in the ways of love, it's always surrender and letting go is the recipe. And, and my, thought mm. for, my thought for you was, could you feel that shift? Could, could you feel yourself moving into new stages that were more panoramic, more vast, more open, um, and really, that's like the whole essence of spiral dynamics and things like that. You know what? I, I could and I couldn't. I could tell hmm. in my late 20s as I approached 30 and then was on this trip that I was in the middle of a stage. I think if yeah. I understand the language, yeah. Yeah. Like, I yeah. was like in, I was deconstructing. I was asking questions. I was like figuring things out. But... I didn't like when I finished the trip, I wasn't like, aha, now let me write a book about my right. wisdom. You know, it wasn't, I have seen the Oracle. It was, the thing is, what's interesting is I did a lot of thinking on that trip. I, I listened to books on tape on my bicycle. I had a lot of really hard conversations and it was in the writing of the memoir that I actually crossed the mm. river Jordan, you know what I'm saying? It's actually the reflection in the reflection. Yeah. And where, I mean, it's like, what's the word? You can't actually see the mountain from the mountain. You can see the mountain from the valley or whatever. It's like yeah. you have, to, you have to walk away from it and look back mm-hmm. to see what you mm-hmm. summited. And, and that is, that's something why I am so such an advocate of writing and journaling and of the act of processing what you've been through because you can like look back at it and see, wow, I am different now. Yeah. 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 And that, that is, um, I know just personally the the days when I do take time to just reflect on the smallest of things, um, Mm. it's like you leave, you leave that day and you enter into the next day with just a little more something. It's not like currency. <laughs> the analogy but, I always... Oh, what? No, I was just saying, it, it's, you, you just leave with, I don't know, a little more. It's, it's, you're in, in that flow state. You, you can receive more of what comes your way rather than resist it in the days ahead as you've reflected on it. Well, and like to take the sleeping self analogy one step further and mix another one in there. <laughs> one of my favorite analogies um, about revelation and about change is snow. Because 
if it's if you're sitting in a cabin and it starts snowing there is never an exact moment where all of a sudden the ground is covered in snow right it's like particle by particle that you cannot track you just see a light dusting and then it's a little more and you cannot track the change because it's a million times it's a trillion Mm -hmm. tiny Mm -hmm. things accumulating but if you fall asleep and you wake up the next day in a winter wonderland there's such a clear difference between no snow and a winter wonderland that's good that is obvious yeah but if you were to stare outside all night and watch it fall, you would never be able to say, and now we're in a winter one, you know, you can't tell me the moment. And that's, I think a lot of how life is. It's a trillion snowflakes of experience of lesson of wisdom of wounding of whatever. And really only when you wake up the next morning and look Mm -hmm. out, you can see a change. Yeah. I think Hemingway said things happen gradually then suddenly. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Gradually gradually you pedal from Oregon to Patagonia mm-hmm. and then suddenly I'm there. Suddenly you're there. Suddenly you see the world in a new way. Suddenly uh that thing that was impossible was possible. Um Mhm. Yeah. Talk to me about you. Um, I, I love this one part and like, I feel like it's a whole nother book. Um, but like mistaking your goals for dreams. Um, mm. that was a, that's a really interesting thing. And especially people our age. Um, I would love to hear you break this down because I think it's a, um, this isn't talked about enough. And this is one of those thing, things underneath the things that the yeah. the sleeping self, if you are not rattled a bit, um, you could wake up at 65 mistaking these two. Yeah, it really, it's a perfect example of how powerful language is. And if, if you have the wrong language, it can screw up mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I just see there's 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 a lot of language in our culture about what's the dream for your life? Like, what do you dream of being when you grow up? What do you dream of? Blah, 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 blah. And I think a dream is not a specific vocation. A dream is a general energy that you are meant to bring to the world. And a goal is what you think spe- what specific thing you think will mm-hmm. embody that dream. Mm-hmm. And so what happens was when I I thought I was meant to be a movie director that was my that was my dream. My whole childhood since I was 12. I come out to college and get get into film school and I realize I hate it. Like a director is not a storyteller so not only a storyteller, he's also the CEO of 300 staff who like look to him for their every direction. And that is not my journey. And I was par- I'm paralyzed by um, being responsible for other people. <laughs> and I was like devastated. I was like, Oh my gosh, everyone back home is waiting for me to be Steven Spielberg. And now I hate this. Am mm-hmm. I trapped into doing this thing that is not for me? And so I mistook, the goal of being a director for the dream for my life. And, 
And then, you know, then I got really lost and I was an undeclared major and I went to law school and I was like, what's, what's happening? And I discovered creative writing and I discovered the nonprofit world and I discovered writing for campaigns. And it was so interesting that feeling I had when I was 12 loving movies and wanting to make them returned to me in my mid twenties, um, writing. And I was like, Oh, I have this feeling again. What is that? And I'm like, Oh, I'm a storyteller. Mm. I'm an articulator of ideas. And that's what I thought I could get out of making movies. But really my goal was too specific. I, and, and, and yes, I could have been a director and done that, but my aim was too narrow. Hmm. Like my actual dream is to be a storyteller articulator. And you can do that in a thousand ways. Right. I could be a youth pastor. I could be a writer. I could be an actor. I could be, you know, I could work at a charity where I do high school campaigns to raise awareness about child soldiers. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. there's so many different things I could do that would fulfill that dream of my heart hmm. to express truth and stories. So how, and so how, let me ask you this then, how did you cultivate that compassion and empathy for yourself to go? It's okay that you're not going to be a movie director. And by the way, it's probably good news that you found this out today. Cause I think that some people get, they, they buy the map so hardcore, right? Mm -hmm. That it's like, this is where I'm going. I'm going to do this and then do that and then do that and then do that. And then they get there and they're like, this is awful. Yet the dream yeah. is still there. The essence is still there. The beauty that you are after is still available to you. How, how do you, how can you, you know, kind of hold the hand with a listener and say, um, there's so many options for that dream. Um, well, it's also important to differentiate between things are harder than you thought they were. And true. this is not what's meant for me, you know, cause it's, it's not all rainbows and sprinkles doing anything. Any, any beautiful thing that you want to do is harder than you think it is always. Um, because a lot of fun things are also monotonous hmm. and paperwork and whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, but you know, I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of grace for myself in those young years when I realized I wasn't going to be a movie director. I had a lot of like, that's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I literally have everyone back home waiting for me to be in an award show and that, that ain't going to happen. And and so that uh, shedding that like expectation of the community that's right for for my own happiness was was a process you know and luckily i had youth on my side where i was like well i'm like 19 i don't know what i'm doing whereas if someone is realizing they've mistaken their goal for their dream and they're 46 that's a harder mm -hmm. boat to turn mm -hmm. you know You've now got responsibilities, expectations, and, and other things. So, um, so learn it early. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, that's what they like make mistakes early, yeah. you know, swing big as fast as you can. But then also one would hope that if you're like on the journey of, of 
self-actualization and shaking the sleeping self that like you would have grace for yourself at any age. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And expectations that that's one of the biggest things I'm learning is how dangerous isn't the right word, but tough to overcome are our own expectations. mm -hmm. And then when we think other people have expectations, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and so a hundred percent, I mean, what, what we, what we forget is that we think that we are actually making decisions when society, our parents, our families have made decisions for us and embedded them with witchcraft into our heads as our own thinking. And I can't tell you how many, how many, um, stresses, and burdens have been lifted from me by the very reason of realizing at a young age, this is the like, the light paired with the shadow of my life. I realized at a young age I was gay and that I was different and that my parents loved me unconditionally and that I could do whatever I wanted and not lose love. So that combination, learning that early, a lot of things in society like marriage, family, uh, mortgage on your house, white picket fence, da, 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 da. I early, early, early embedded into my identity. I'm different. I don't play the same game. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm 35. I have a lot of friends who, if they're not married, if they're not this or that, they feel, even though they're like so wise, so successful, this or that, they have shame. They have internalized shame that they really struggle to shake. Um, from expectations that were put on them. And they like, they can even say, I know I didn't think this for myself, but I still think it every day. I can't shake it, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I do not, I, for the most part, do not have those thoughts, which is really, which is in, 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 exciting to know because I'm like, well, that isn't a guaranteed thing for every human being. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there you don't have to be that way. Yeah, so it sounds like your parents were huge in that. Um, I think so. Of, I mean, of I, of just of of mirroring that unconditional love, right? Like that isn't that isn't the consistent story that's out there. No, for, for so many it, people, and I and I think you're playing with house money a bit. I can say that for my parents that just having that. Um, that I don't know that creativity, that freedom, that love spoken into you, um, is huge, huge, huge. Oh my gosh. It's so huge. I mean, I think about, but both my parents are writers, creatives. And so I had that, the, the privilege of being raised in it by parents who didn't take a normal path. And so, you know, and they, it was feast or famine for them. You know, like they, there were many, many years of my childhood where the fanciest thing we could do was go to the movie theater, you know? And yet I just was never raised in the zone of, if you don't become an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, you're unsuccessful. That just like was Mm -hmm. never in my brain. Yeah. And I give them all the credit for that. Yeah, yeah. So then, what 
rituals or practices or disciplines have you remained true to on the other side of your trip, on the other side of writing a book? Because it's a daily shaking the sleeping self. It didn't end when you got to Patagonia. Um, <laughs> that, that chapter of it did, and a whole new world was unlocked for you in a way of seeing and being in the world. Um, but what are some of those maybe small, hidden, unnoticed things that you have found keeps that posture possible, keeps that availability possible, keeps the cynicism and pessimism of the world aside and allows possibility to flow through your veins? Well, for me, that is actually not a difficult task because when I shifted from you know, 20 conscious years of evangelical American Christianity, which is entirely based on certainty of doctrine and on certainty of assent to belief. When you, when I handed that in very gradually, like the falling snow, when I handed that in for embrace of mystery and the fearless pursuit of truth, even if it, even if it reek, like, reconstructs or deconstructs what I thought yesterday that I know no matter what the truth is, the truth is the truth is going to be okay. That posture to me is like my actual breathing. Now Hmm. I am, there is nothing I can read. There is nothing that will, that I fear. And I think mysticism, it, uh, the, the word freaks people out, I think. Um, but well, yeah. at, at, its, at its core, uh, and you and I were talking about this before the call, at, at its core, um, it's, it's not demanding answers out of everything and, de- and, and letting go and knowing that sometimes your questions are the beautiful answers, that you, you, you don't have to you know, die on every hill that, um, if beauty is going to have its way with you is love, if love is going to have its way with you, um, you better get pretty comfortable with mystery. (laughs) Yeah. So to any, to anyone listening to this conversation, if you don't know what mysticism is, we were talking about it before the call, but, um, I would say you could almost call mysticism mysteryism, which is like, bingo, like the worship of mystery as if mystery itself wants what is good for you. And it is an endless invitation into knowing with the caveat that you will never reach the end, which to me is like the ultimate sign of God. It's like you're invited this way, but you'll never reach where I'm at. And that's okay. You're not supposed to. More knowing actually leads to more unknowing. Yes. And, <laughs> and with the, the way I just, the way I define mysticism is, is embracing mystery with the, like, with the presupposition that the universe is good yep. and, and that all is good. And, and, and this happens when you experience detachment, there you know, you like yep. Buddhism or whatever, where Surrender you just, and letting go. Yeah. And when you surrender, you can just look at something and you like it. 
Yeah. You know, there's there's an amazing episode of This American Life called Testosterone. Have you ever listened mm-hmm. to that one? No. Uh-uh. It accidentally is like the most profound testimony of God. <laughs> but what happens is that they, they tell the story of this guy that something happens in his brain, unknown, unknown why, and his testosterone production completely vanishes. It, his brain stops making it. And, and he doesn't know what's wrong with him. But all of a sudden, he loses all ambition. He loses all interest in anything, really. Um, he stops craving food. He literally sits at home and eats um, mayonnaise on white bread every day. <laughs> like, because testosterone is like this thing that drives you, you know, it makes you sexual, but it also makes you want to be CEO and partner at the law firm. And like, that's very, hmm. this is just interesting talking hmm. about gender politics where it's like testosterone is a real thing and men produce more of it. And that's like, that matters. But one of the things that he says, which I'll never forget, is he said when he had no testosterone, he would sit in his room and stare out the window and not move and not want to go anywhere. And he would just look at the world. And the only thing that his brain kept saying on repeat was, that is beautiful. Hmm. That is beautiful. He would look at a lamp and say, that is beautiful. He would look at a fly banging on the window and say, that is beautiful. And like he said, somehow when I didn't want anything from the world, I just looked at it and thought it was beautiful. Interesting. Which is so funny because he's not a mystic. He literally, he's talking about brain chemistry. But once you like, once you remove all that desire, it's just interesting to me that in the, in the fabric of the brain that you, the, the, the disposition wouldn't be that is boring, that Mm. is boring, or that is meaningless, that but it, instead, it's that is beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, that grants you that subject-to-subject conversation between everything. Um, yeah. Rather than subject-object, me and that tree, now it's just back and forth. The beauty's there. Um, yeah. I think, was it, oh, I forget her name, Simone something, that like beauty is the tender smile of Christ through all me, all things, all matter, something like that. Um, just this, and it isn't pantheism. This isn't God is all things. It's, it's panantheism that God is in all things. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I tell you, if you want your, if you want your moments to become electric, just just allow, allow, allow that one inch in your days, right? Um, Uh allow that just a, a little possibility for, the hummingbird, the child, the moment, the strife, the f- the food, the whatever to grant this this thing and um, that subject to subject knowing this mirroring, um, I think, is a huge aspect of mysteryism, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, truly. To uh, to really, it, it's it's not that that ah bush is on fire; it's that they're all on fire. Um, yeah that's so great (laughs) um and that's the invitation there's the great invitation um and that it all becomes a little more lovely and bearable and beautiful when you when you allow that in your life Mm. well yeah that's like the 
the idea that the truth is hidden is like once you start looking for the patterns of what is being said all the time, you can, you see it everywhere all day. That's right. And in everything everywhere all the time. And I'm like, Oh, this is what God is doing, which is everything all the time. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. What, what, what else would this Trinitarian God be doing other than everything (laughs) all the time? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's not hiding his truth in like one pastor hidden in some weird church. It's like, no, he's telling you everything all mm. the time. Mm. We just got to shake the sleeping self. Yeah. Yeah. That's the work. <laughs> That's the work. That is the work. Oh. You don't have to ride a bicycle to Patagonia. That's a little bit extra, but like. <laughs> one guy's done that. You can. you can read his book and you can learn all about it. Yeah, and do it if you want. I promise you it's amazing. But like, but also, you will like, have to surrender think... and let go on a daily, if not hourly basis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Judd Jenkins, we could do this all day, I think. I, 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 I think we may need to have just <laughs> a, a, a day-long Waco conversation one day um, and give you a tour of the Balcones Whiskey Distillery. That. that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, for our listeners that want to follow you and your work, where's the best place to send them? Well, like uh, my Instagram, like I is where I like kind of Tone write base. the most regularly. Yeah, it was Jedediah Jenkins, just my name. But then also JedediahJenkins.com is where you can order my book if you want to, or you can see if I'm going to have an event, or if you want to, I don't know, email me or something. It's it's there. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Well, on behalf of all of us, um, thank you. Thank you for your time and your generosity, as always. Thank you for wanting to talk to me. Um, it's a privilege. Thanks for uh, walking down that, that road of mystery with me this morning. Um, we are super grateful for you uh, and your essence here at the good, true, and beautiful table. Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, And if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car, Uh, You allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more, uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid. Listen to the bluebirds sing and be loved.